Good morning. Could I ask you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22. If you're using the Black Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 192, Deuteronomy 22, and we're starting uh, verse 1 through verse 12. We've been uh, going through the book of Deuteronomy in the preaching week by week. We've reached chapter 22. These are the messages, the exhortations, the encouragements, the reminders, the challenges that Moses gave to the people of Israel when they were on the verge of entering the promised land. The spies had gone in and they had seen that it was a very good land indeed. But the people needed reminders so that when they got into that nice land that they would remember to to be the Lord's people. And we're just on the verge of entering into uh, you know, a wonderful new building. We're going to get the occupancy permit very soon, we, we trust. And uh, the spies are telling us that it is a, an amazing, wonderful building. It, it's just amazing. It's so good. It's going to be so great to enjoy that, that facility. And uh, so we've been going through uh, these reminders for God's ancient people and applying them to ourselves today. And we come to a a funny place where we have a a collection of miscellaneous laws on little things. Laws about little matters in Deuteronomy 22. And uh, I think that these little matters, these little laws are given to cause God's people to pay attention and to be faithful, and to be zealous, and to be committed to the Lord, because love is in a lot of little things. So let's read together. If you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to him. If the brother does not live near you, or if you do not know who he is, take it home with you and keep it until he comes looking for it, then give it back to him. Do the same if you find your brother's donkey or his cloak or anything he loses. Do not ignore it. If you see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help him to get it to its feet. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it may go well with you and you may live a long life. When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. The word of the Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do attend to little things. And we pray that as we hear these commands and as we consider these commands, as we receive instruction from your law today, that what is 
whatever is a small thing in your estimation, that it would be a big thing in ours, that we would take seriously even the small things of your word. So give us grace, Father, to love you, to love you and to love our neighbors as, uh, as your law instructs us. So work in our hearts, Father, that we might be your followers, that we might be children of God, that we might look like children of God, that our characters, our souls might be fitting as your dwelling, <clears throat> your dwelling place, as your possession. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so I was having coffee with my friend. We were sitting on the lounge chairs at Starbucks and disappointment was written all over his face as he told me about the wonderful things that are happening in his country. The, the, uh, he, he's from Brazil, and it's just amazing how Bible-believing churches have grown. And the population of this vast nation is changing. It's becoming, it's the second, uh, you know, second leading Christian country in the world behind the United States of America. And, uh, you know, just tremendous gospel progress in Brazil, but he's so disappointed at Christian friends he knows, at churches he knows, at the sense he has as he's, you know, been around and seen things, that this growth is very shallow, that the discipleship isn't there, that the commitment to Christ isn't there, that there are lots of big numbers, but there isn't a deep heart, that there's growth in size but not quality. And uh, so he, he was talking about friends, loved ones, who are you know, uh, members in good standing of local churches. And when they find out that he, you know, he won't sleep with a girl when he has the opportunity to, they're, they're, they reprove him. You know, why are you so picky? Why, why are you so worried about little things? Why are you so legalistic? He's just stunned, discouraged. So these warnings from Moses about little things, uh, things might seem little to us, but um, they can be big to God. And wouldn't it be terrible for us to move into this big new building and to hopefully you know, become, <clears throat> become a bigger church and have more people and more ministries and more happening and for us to become lackadaisical and unconcerned, for us to become easy about little details and not worried about small things, afraid, more afraid of becoming legalistic than of becoming disobedient or unholy. So we have a sinful tendency to uh, drift away, to ignore, to minimize the Word of God, and to lose our zeal and our fire. But God attends to little things. And because God attends to little things, we should too. Since God is a God who focuses attention on small matters, we ought to be people who also give attention even to the small matters of God's will, the small matters of following our Lord. And so this passage, I, I'm going to uh, divide it up and we're going to look at five, five different kinds of small matters five different small things, little things that God attends to and, uh, and uh, how he told his people, his ancient people Israel, to, to attend to them as well and how uh, that will apply to us today. So let's look for instruction from God's law. 
course, you have to be very careful when you go to God's law for instruction because we're sinners and it tends to convict. Well, the first, uh, the first little thing here, uh, the first four verses, it's about how God attends to other people's problems. And these are little things. Other people's problems are little things. They're little because it's not my problem and it's not even God's problem. It's somebody else's problem. God attends to other people's problems. That's the kind of God he is. We meet him at the beginning of, of, of the Bible in the book of Genesis coming into the garden and saying, Adam, where are you? Seeking Adam in his sin and looking for him and seeking to redeem him. We, we find him again at the end of the Bible, at the, some of the last verses of the book of Revelation. Um, again, inviting and calling, concern for someone else's problems. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him drink of the river of life. So God is a God who goes out seeking to redeem. That's the kind of God he is. So look at the command he gives in that light here at the beginning of chapter 22. Uh, the first four verses, if you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it. But be sure to take it back to him. If the brother does not live near you or if you do not know who he is, take it home with you. Keep it until he comes looking for it. Then give it back to him. Do the same if you find your brother's donkey or his cloak or anything he loses. Do not ignore it. If you see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help him get it to its feet. You hear the refrain, do not ignore it. That's our tendency. That's the problem that we have, is that we start to get lazy. We start to get easy about the little picky details. We just want the big point. We just want the bottom line. And we don't want to be bothered with a lot of fussiness about following God. And uh, God is challenging us to pay attention to small things. So do not ignore it. Literally, what it says is do not hide yourself. So that's some kind of figure of speech. It's some kind of idiom. It's the way the Hebrews talked. But I think if you put it in the way that we talk today, what we call it is don't pretend you didn't see. So uh, in, in the, the uh, story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told, there was a man traveling on the road And he fell into the hands of thieves, robbers. So they beat him and they stole everything that he had and they left him as good as dead by the side of the road. But he was so fortunate that a man known for zeal and service to God, the God of mercy, the God of redemption, the God who reaches out, happened along that road. A Levite came along and he pretended he didn't see. He passed by on the other side. And then a priest came along and pretended he didn't see and passed by on the other side. And that's the tendency that we have. And that's what the law here is warning us about, that we need to see what we see and act on it. Lost property, uh, it's not a big deal, but it can be a gateway crime, a gateway sin, a gateway temptation to the sin of theft. So, you know, you go down to the lost and found and somebody's old pair of glasses and somebody's old scribbled up Bible and somebody's diamond ring and a nice pair of gloves. That's a nice pair of gloves and somebody's iPod and somebody's laptop. And 
you know you can start to to get interested in some of these things. Um, we we need to uh, be zealous to to get it back to its owner and not to covet the things that are not our own. It's a gateway a gateway sin, and so it's a little thing, someone else's problem, but God calls us to give heed to it and take heed to it ourselves. God attends to other people's problems. And as we move along, God attends to problems that aren't serious yet. Uh, In verse 4, God attends to developing problems, a problem that has not yet reached fruition. And so verse uh, verse verse 5 says, A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Okay, so it's, it's only putting on clothes. You know, what's the big deal? It's not going to hurt you. It doesn't, it doesn't go inside your skin. Um, but it seems to be that it's, it's because this is leading in a direction. That seems to be the issue. And so there are two main ideas of what perhaps was prompting this law in its original setting. You know, we don't have the the, the, the teacher's edition of the, of the Bible, we just you know, have to depend on scholars and try to do research and figure things out. So a lot of it is guesswork. But here's the first guess. Uh, in, in a lot of ancient religions, not in that area, not in that time, we have evidence in ancient religions of things like in the temple where a goddess is worshipped, the priests, the ma- male priests would dress up like women. Or maybe a magic practice where the couple who want to have children, and they, they're having trouble having children, they, they figure out this magic trick. You know, if they change clothes, it sort of maybe confuses the evil spirits or something, and then, then they're able to have children. So a fertility rite of some kind. So it could be there's some kind of religious background to this prohibition on changing, uh, switching the clothes, wearing the clothes of the other gender. If, if that's what it is, then it's a concern about a sin that hasn't quite yet come to fruition. Because it's concerned that if you, if you go and act like you believe that stuff, you're going to fall into believing that stuff. If you go and follow the patterns of the people who turn away from the Lord and do other things, then you might turn away from the Lord and do those other things. So it isn't a command against following another religion. It's a command against doing this thing that would, that would be associated with another religion. But I think there's another explanation. In, uh, in the law, we don't have to go far in, in, in research of ancient things, but right here in the book, we find another possible explanation. And that is that it could be that this is about approaching the sin of homosexuality. And sometimes transvestitism is associated with some kinds of homosexual behavior. And God takes an extreme view, an extremely negative view of homosexual behavior. And so it could well be that this prohibition has to do with people going near that sin and near that line and kind of opening the door and creating a gateway to, uh, to cross that line. Would you just turn back uh, to the book of Leviticus, flip back um, to Leviticus chapter 18. And I want you to see what I mean about this, uh, uh, this extremely negative view that God takes about homosexuality. 
Leviticus 18. Uh, We're going to start with verse 22. So the chapter Leviticus 18 is a big list of sexual sins that are being prohibited. And as the list progresses, it seems like the sins get worse and worse until it reaches this crescendo with verses 22 and 23 with the worst, the worst perversions that that are named. Perhaps the worst that can be named in the book uh, that could be named at all. Um, so in verse 22 and then and then in the following verses, it gives the 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 consequence if a nation follows those perverse practices. So with verse 22, it says, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. We're in Leviticus 18:22. It's page 115. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. And then skipping down to verse 24, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. God judges nations that engage in these practices. So God takes an extreme view of homosexuality and it could be that uh, what's in, what is prompting this is that w- w- the, the, ch- the trading of, of genders, the crossing of the gender line is, is going too near to that ban. And uh, it is so dishonoring to God by marring his creation. So, sins that are only in seed, sins that are only in bud, are sins. Even though it's not fully developed, or even though it's not bearing its, its complete fruit, even though it's a little thing because it really hasn't come to its full stage, it's still a sin and needs to be dealt with in a serious way. And so that's why we make rules against verbal abuse and harassment. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones. Nobody's ever hurt by what you say. But we have rules against, you know, certain kinds of speech. Because that kind of speech leads to something else. And it leads to action. And it's followed by worse things. And so we make rules against it when it's in the seed form before it's gotten bad. So what should we do? Watch out for the looks you know, the ways that your eyes roam. Watch out for the thoughts, the trails down which you let your mind wander, the laziness, the neglect. Remember back some time, I want to remind you of things you've heard, things you've been challenged with. Jeremy preached a sermon series in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, a warning against drifting away. And so Hebrews 2 says, we must pay more careful attention so that we do not drift away like a ship that's been untied and is just moving with the waves, moving with the currents, and is no longer moored. The end of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it warns churches to pay attention to sin developing in the church, even in its bud stage, 
And uh, so the analogy used, Hebrews 12, 15, it's a little different, but you'll get it. See that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up among you to defile many. It's only a root, yes, but it will produce bitter fruit if you allow it to grow. So churches need to be vigilant and so Christians need to be in fellowship where our lives are open to one another, where we can be challenged and where we can be encouraged in holiness, where we can be fed, where we can be watched, where we can take part in watching one another. And we need to be compassionate with our brothers and sisters who get caught in these things, who are not minding all the seeds, who haven't seen all the little things growing in their lives. And we need to be patient when we confront because maybe it's not as the way that we think we see it in someone else's life. And we want someone to be patient with us when we're the ones who have got something growing that needs to be yanked out. God attends to other people's problems and God attends to developing problems and God attends to the problems of animals. Oh, no. Look at verse 6 and 7. There's a risk now. I'm going to be talking about how God cares about animals, how God loves animals. There's a risk here that I'm going to uh, add wind to that already overinflated idolatry of animals which, which we have in our society. You've heard of the uh, restaurants for your pet. You know, and it's, it's not just a place where they get dog food in a bowl. But, I mean, we're talking about real gourmet restaurants that, for your pet. And, uh, you know, pet hotels. It's not just a fancy name for the cage over at the animal hospital where you, stick, you leave the dog and you, you know, while you're going on vacation. But these are, you know, real hotels with the concierge and, the, you know, the, the, the whole thing and room service, whatnot. Uh, so... Uh, you know, we, we really, we go further, leave alone, you know, little things like pet cemeteries and all that. You know, that's, that's how it is. But there is a line between affection for your dog or your cat or your gerbil or your boa constrictor and idolatry. At some point we cross a line. And I think we, we're crossing that line. You know, the ancient Egyptians, they, they worshipped cats. And I think we're, we're kind of on the same page as, as they were. But I want to talk about how God loves animals. So there's a danger that I'm going to you know, support that kind of crazy notion. But on the other hand, there's a danger that uh, people are just going to laugh at the whole thing, and I would never want people to laugh at me. Um, I can just hear it, you know, the jokes about Jesus loves all the little bunnies and you know, Seth's sermon about you know, all the... The animals. Okay, but, but, but here goes. I'm plunging ahead. Um, verses 6 and 7. So Deuteronomy 22, 6 and 7. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. God is a God who cares about animals. And so I want to give you a a theology of animals. You know, what's going on in the verse is kind of easy to understand. 
you, you, got, the, you got the nest, you got the eggs or, or chicks or whatever it is, and the mother bird doesn't behave like a normal bird. What does she do? She sticks around. She tries to take you on. You know, it's so easy to catch her. It's so easy to add to your lunch. And, uh, you know, so then you, you get this bird and you eat it and, you know, your big fat stomach is full and you got the juice running down your chin and you laugh and you go, ha, 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 that stupid bird. You know, and this is an ugly picture. God doesn't like it. And he says, let the mother go that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life. You know, it reminds us of the command, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live a long life. And so I I think that what it's about is, um, you know, have a little respect for the poor mother bird. Look what she's doing. And just don't defile it. Again, it's, it's only a gateway sin. It's not a big deal. It's just a bird. Right? A theology of animals. Ready? A. God made them. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, check it out. B, this verse reminds us of another in Deuteronomy, chapter, uh, chapter 14. A law also having to do with motherhood among animals, I think, possibly. There's a law against boiling a kid, a baby goat, in its mother's milk. So some kind of respect for motherhood uh, among animals. It's, it's, it's possible, a possible explanation. Um, you know, the alternative is that, again, there's some kind of religious ritual that's at the background, some kind of Canaanite religious ritual. But then it might still be that the problem with that religious ritual is that it's despising creation and despising motherhood. So anyway, this is where, this is where I see it. Uh, so theology of animals. God made them. Don't boil a kid. Here's my proof text. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, so in the book of Jonah... You know, Jonah was all upset because God sent him to preach against this terribly wicked city, Nineveh. And Jonah faithfully went through and preached judgment. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And of all things, the Ninevites repented. The worst thing that could have happened. You know, Jonah did not want them to repent. He wanted that judgment to come down. And they repented. And Jonah was so upset because he knew that God is a God of mercy. So Jonah went and sat down outside the city to wait out the 40 days and to wait and make sure that judgment does fall on Nineveh as they deserve. And so while he's waiting, he's getting hot. And God causes a little vine to grow up. And Jonah is so happy that the vine shades him from the hot sun. And then God causes a little worm to come and kill the vine. And Jonah is Oh, he's having a tantrum. He's upset. He's angry. He says, I'm ready to die. You know, and God says, you're upset about the vine. Though you didn't make it grow, you didn't tend it. Should I not be concerned about this great city, Nineveh, with a hundred thousand people and many what? And many cattle as well. God is concerned about animals. There's my proof text. Jonah 4.11. So, <clears throat> and then uh, Jesus' teaching. Uh, y- you get uh, Matthew 6.26. Uh, Consider the birds of the heaven. They don't 
do any productive work. They don't plant. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't do any. They don't store away in barns. What do they do? They fly around and they sing, you know, but God feeds them. Will he not much more take care of you, O you of little faith? Yeah, Jesus always puts the barb on the end. So isn't it wonderful that God takes care of animals? It's encouraging for us because if God takes care of dumb animals, you know, maybe he'll take care of dumb me. And uh, so it's encouraging. And then there's the Sabbath. Did you know that oxen are supposed to get their rest on the Sabbath too? And donkeys. It's listed right there in Deuteronomy chapter 5 where the Ten Commandments are listed and where the Sabbath commandment is repeated in Deuteronomy 5. And then it says your oxen and your donkey, you know, your livestock will also get a rest God wants the animals to have a rest. And so, yeah, okay, there's all this concern for animals in the Bible. I think the purpose of it is really a spiritual purpose for us. And I think what it is is, um, you know, we need to to, uh, show the same kind of care that we receive. We, We need to give the same kind of care that we're looking for and do unto others, even animals, as we would have it be done unto us. We're not on God's level. And we want him to look down on us. And we want to treat animals like dirt. So I, I, think, it's, uh, I think that the Bible is teaching us to be lined up with God's character. That holiness, I think this is the consistent teaching throughout the law, is that holiness is the subject of the law. And it means being lined up with God's nature. And if God's people are going to be in a covenant relationship with Him, and He's going to be near them, and He's going to be dwelling with them, and they're going to be His home, He's going to live by them and in them, then they have to be like Him. And if they clash with His nature, then there's real danger. So, What do we do with this? I think that animal welfare is a legitimate biblical concern. And, you know, usually we, we, you know, as Christians, you know, we hear, you know, people talking about animal welfare. We say, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I, I believe that based on, you know, the theology of animals I've just presented and on this verse, this text right here, that it is a legitimate biblical concern and that Christians ought to be concerned for how, how we treat animals and that we should oppose brutality to animals because they're part of God's creation and we, we respect what God made. And so we should be concerned about, how, you know, about this in our own private life, our own dog, our own cat, our kids, you know, should I even say it, goldfish, you know. But think about it. Think about it anyway. Don't, you know, teach your boys. You know, we, we're all, we're, you know, all of us boys, you know what we do. Moms, if you're, if you're not clued into this, you need to understand about boys. We love to go out and kill something and watch it die. You know, so teach boys to respect life. <clears throat> so in our private life and in public, you know, there, there was recently a, 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 an initiative, a ballot initiative about dog racing. Did you ever think of that as a biblical issue? Did you ever think of it that, as something that, that uh, you know, God might have a voice in our considerations in that, at least for you as a Christian voter? Um, now, 
I don't know firsthand about all the conditions under which the dogs are, are raced and everything like that. But the issue in the, in the ballot initiative was an issue of animal cruelty and brutality and the mistreatment of animals. That was an issue. And if there is such an issue, it's an issue that Christians have a concern with. And we don't just need to ignore it. <clears throat> what about farming practices? I'll, I'll leave you to figure it out. But aren't you glad that God cares for dim-witted animals? Aren't you glad that he's a good shepherd? <clears throat> so God attends to other people's problems. God attends to developing problems. God attends to the problems of animals. And God attends to potential problems. And what I mean by potential problems is this, this is a problem that is not a problem unless somebody does something stupid. Okay, so uh, here's the command. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 8. When you build a house, make a parapet around the roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. So, so a parapet is what we call a deck railing. Only in Palestine, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of trees. There wasn't a lot of lumber. So they built out of stone. And when you build you know, a deck out of stone, and then you put a wall around it, you call that a parapet. So when, when you build a house out of stone in a land where there's not a whole lot of rain, you just build it with a flat roof, and what do you have? A deck. Party time. So, you know, you go up on top of the house, and that's where people would have their leisure, and they would, you know, spend time up there. And so it was a nice space. They could do lots of things up on the roof. They could work up there. They could enjoy it. And uh, so if you build a house like that, you have to build the parapet, the, the, the deck rail, because you have to consider the sorts of things that, that people do. And uh, people aren't always watching, and so you have to watch out. You have to pay attention to the typical behavior and the expectations that people have when they go into a place. So, um, you know, this is, I think, probably the favorite verse of every um, health inspector, every building inspector, every OSHA inspector, um, you know that there has to be a responsibility on the owner to look out for the kinds of conditions that people will encounter and the kinds of accidents and problems that, that might befall them if they live like people or act like people in that place. So, you know, you've got your roof. And you can't always be watching grandma when she's up there. You know, she kind of wanders sometimes. And you might have kids up there. And, uh, you know, Uncle Fred, whenever he comes over, you know, he always has that bottle hidden. And uh, do what you may, he, he kind of gets woozy. And he might, you know, drop off the side. So we've got to do something to prevent bloodshed because bloodshed is evil. And uh, then that would, if we were people who, who set things up for bloodshed, if we bring the guilt of bloodshed upon ourselves, then we've created a crisis between us and God. The law is about guilt. The law is about holiness. It's not a law designed to protect health and safety as such. It's a law designed to protect the relationship between God and his people, to protect from guilt and to protect the holiness of the people. So, uh, what do we do with this law? 
How about this? What's the most dangerous thing that you do most often? It's what we're going to do as soon as we finish the service. Get behind the wheel of a car and hit the, hit the gas pedal, especially in reverse. Uh, so we need to drive safely. So they're, they're just the, they're the rules of the road. That's what they're for. Uh, we need to plan ahead because things happen. So you run a red light, you got away with it. Fine. But you ran a red light. You could, that's just like, you know, setting up someone to be killed. Never mind if, if nobody got killed. The policeman stops you and he gives you a ticket because if, if you run red lights, someone's going to get killed. Or at least their car's going to get smashed up. So maybe you're lucky, but guilty. This all came crashing down on the head of Danny Kroos in a single afternoon. He was driving home drunk again and uh, in a total stupor, in a, in a rainstorm, driving through a construction area, and uh, suddenly the lights went out. You know, there was a thump and the lights went out, and he couldn't see anything. So he's swerving around, and finally he stops the car, and the dead police officer rolls off the hood. So Danny tells how in his prison cell he would soak his pillow with tears day after day. Danny's guilt was there when he put the keys in the, in the ignition. Danny was guilty when he picked up the glass to drink. Danny was guilty the last time he drove drunk. But Danny never felt the guilt until that day. Well, thankfully, it changed his life. But uh, are there some of us who are guilty, as guilty as that, and we've just been lucky? So we need to be careful, and we need to not run risks with other people's lives. So uh, drive safely. And then, am I my brother's keeper? Am I really responsible for watching out for him and for, you know, foreseeing problems that might befall him? Um, God is a shepherd and he sees the risk that his judgment poses to evil, lazy, greedy failures like me. And he puts up the parapet of the gospel to save me. And will I not look out for the practical dangers of my neighbors and take preventative action. So God attends to potential problems. And lastly, God attends to spiritual problems. These laws in the last four verses, verses 9 through 12, uh, they don't seem to have any connection with anything moral. There doesn't seem to be any anything moral or immoral about planting two kinds of seed in a vineyard or plowing with an ox and a donkey yoke together or wearing a cotton poly mix or putting tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. These don't seem to be moral, nor do they seem to have anything to do with health and safety. Actually, to the contrary, uh, mixed uh, interplanting of different crops, certain different crops, certain different varieties of crops are recommended practices 
you know, I, I, have a, I have a degree in agriculture, so, that, so ask me about it. But, uh, so interplanting is actually not a bad thing, but as far as scientists can tell, there's no harm in it, and it's actually, it can be good. So what are these laws about? I think that uh, the key to understanding these, these last four laws is in the last one to uh, make tassels for yourselves on the four corners of the cloak you wear. If we look at the, the place where that law was first given back in Numbers 15, you know, in, in Deuteronomy, it's just a reminder. Let's look back there at Numbers 15. This is what Moses is reminding the people about. So Numbers 15, it would be page 146 at the end of the chapter. It talks about tassels on garments. And it says that the purpose of the tassels is to remind people of all God's other commandments. It's just something to do, to like wear a uniform, to, to stick out, to have something visible, a, a practical, tangible item that will keep your mind on the fact that, oh yeah, I belong to God. I'm not my own. So, tassels on garments, uh, num- uh, num- Numbers 15:37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and be consecrated to, the, to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so the point of the, the tassels was to remind the people of that. And perhaps that's the point of all the laws about clean and unclean foods and, and these laws about clean and unclean agricultural practices and garments and uh, you know plowing practices and things like this. It isn't that having a garment of wool and linen is going to do any harm because you know that ephod, the garment that the priest wore, according to the prescriptions of the law, had to be made out of wool and linen mixed together. So it's not that having wool and linen together is something wrong. But somehow, whether there's a religious background or a cultural background, Somehow these are things to set the people apart. What they are is they're like in the old days when people would send a letter, they would show who the letter was really from. It would be like the signature. It's, it was the wax seal. So you would take and you would put the sealing wax down on the outside of the letter where the page, pages come together, and then you would take your own special stamp and you'd stamp that wax and it would receive the character of your stamp, and it would show that you were the one who signed it. And so these laws set apart the Israelites among all the other peoples, that they could be seen that they belonged to the Lord, that they were loyal to the Creator, that they observed certain distinctions, perhaps that come from creation, the distinction of different animals, the distinction of different kinds of clothing material, the distinction of different crops for the field, all from the hand of the Creator. And so every time they would go in their vineyard, it would remind them that they belonged to the Creator. 
or if they'd look at the corner of their garments. Do you belong to God? You need to be soft and pliable like that sealing wax. You need to receive the imprint of God's commands on your life. You, you don't need to be like a rubber pad that gets hit and just bounces back. But let God's word make its impression and receive the impression upon your soul. Let your way of working and dealing be the tassels that everyone can see that show that you belong to the Lord. Let your way of marrying, of raising children, of church life, of recreation, let the things that you do and the ways that you live be marked and transformed through God's word, through his spirit, through his presence, that you might uh, let your light shine that the world might see. So honor God in little things. God looks at little things in our lives. When we pretend not to see, when we let bitter roots grow, when we're too big for little ones, when we're too important for caution, God sees the little things in our lives. When we let God's word go unheeded. Listen to the words of Psalm 94. God sees. God sees our lives. He sees what's done in secret. I told you that the law of God convicts. And I think that this teaching, while it instructs us and enlightens our eyes, it also convicts us. Listen to what this says. Take heed, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? God knows what we're doing. He knows when we pretend not to see. He knows the little things that, that we have going on that we don't stop. Jesus gives a great exposition of the little things of the law in the Sermon on the, uh, Sermon on the Mount. And he takes principles of the law and he drives them into the details of our lives. He says, Matthew 5:19, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Love is in the little things. And Jesus says, "Whoever, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So God is concerned about little things. And the word of God convicts us of the many ways that we've neglected, the many ways that we've lacked zeal, the many ways that we've been lazy, that we've fallen asleep. A thousand little convictions with a thousand little thorns, each piercing us and we're dying the death of a thousand pricks. And one is enough to kill because as James says in chapter 2, James 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all because it's the same lawgiver who gave all the laws and you can't pick and choose and say you'll only obey the big ones. And so if you break his laws, as we've done, then you're under his condemnation. God has my number. His sights are dialed in on me. I can't take a hit, but I have thousands coming. 
messengers from God, missiles, each of them holy, each of them coming to clear the earth of the stain of my sin and of my presence. What can I do? I'm ruined. God's vineyard shall be pure. Hear the words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Christ died once for all. He's done it definitively. Nothing else needs to be added. Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He did it vicariously. He did it for others. He was looking out for you. He was looking out for me. Christ died for sins to bring you to God. He died redemptively. Have you been washed? Are you washed by the blood of the Lamb? Can we sing that song? Can we close with that song? Have you experienced the cleansing power of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, the Son of God who gave Himself for us, the the purification through the Holy Spirit? This is the blessing that we have in Christ. Would you please stand as we sing?